Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It is good to be with you. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also go to johnwarrenmedia.com for more information about our work or send along an email to me. Uh, you can use our, our contact form on the website or email me directly at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Well, it is a delight to be with you again as we make our way through the letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome, otherwise known as the Book of Romans. And we've, we've talked about a lot of really important truth, and uh, I, I hope you're, you've been studying the book, and uh, I hope you see the beauty of the truth that we've discussed. My prayer, my hope is that perhaps uh, for even a handful of people, this might unlock some of the beauty of of this book with all of its beautiful theology. So uh, we're in chapter six. We're, we're just uh, starting chapter six, and I'm kind of clumsily moving our way through this book uh, rather rapidly for some probably and slowly for others, rapidly for those who study theology and who say, wow, how did you gloss over that important word or that important phrase or that concept? You just mentioned it in passing. Well, I'm taking the time each week to read the chapter, the subject chapter, so that if I miss something that's important, you've at least heard it, and uh, we've at least acknowledged it uh, together. And I hope you'll do what I suggested last time, which is study this book carefully, read. I, I read the chapters multiple times, even though... I teach this material year after year in a Christian school called Circle Christian School in Orlando with really smart students, an average about a hundred of them in several sections of my classes. And I still read this material again and again, and it's amazing to me how various truths uh, pop out at me. You, you've probably experienced this, those of you who read scripture, you can, you can study it, read it. Uh, for many, many years, many, many times, and then suddenly a new, uh, not a new truth, but uh, one of the truths will will leap out at you where you might have just kind of glossed over it in the past. There's a lot to say about that, and I, I think if you if you will engage in true Bible study and not just perfunctory reading, you'll see what I mean. My prayer is that God uses these principles in all of our lives. So Paul is uh, now, he's talking about really our sanctification and uh, you know that word just yeah religious words bother people and i get it if you grew up in the church and you're an adult now you probably have memories attached to various words and that one for me certainly has uh, some strong connotations that aren't quite accurate so We're going to try to unpack a little bit of that as we go through this. So I'm going to jump in and just read. I'm going to I'm going to start with a few verses and maybe we'll explain those and what they what they really mean. And then we'll try to uh, 
make our way through this entire chapter today. So I'm reading from uh, the English Standard Version of the New Testament and from the book of Romans and chapter six, Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, Paul is asking a rhetorical question and he answers it with this, this expression in the Greek that he uses again and again. He says, by no means. So, if grace abounds, if, if the sufficiency of God's grace abounds, then why don't we continue in sin? Because that would mean that we invoke more grace. And after all, grace is good. Well, Paul's, Paul's going to go on here to say, you know, you're missing the point if that's your reaction to God's grace. In fact, that's not an authentic reaction to God's grace. In verse 3, he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, oh boy, here we go, into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, this word and I don't want you to take my word for this. I want you to talk to your pastor or go to blueletterbible.com or .org, I think it is. There's an app called Blue Letter Bible as well. And and look at look at the various texts and you can even research the Greek words. You can go to Vines and and look up this word baptized and you can read this in context. You can even find commentaries there and there are other resources other than Blue Letter Bible, but that's one that I like. And study this section, and what you'll find when you do is that the idea, this isn't water baptism, this is the idea of being incorporated with. I want to use the word vicarious here, vicariously, the adverb, but I don't want to get in the weeds on exactly what's going on here, except Paul is saying, if you've been incorporated with Jesus Christ by faith, he's already talked about the he said at the beginning of this chapter, what shall we say then? You know, what, Because of this, what shall we say then? He's already talked in the previous part of the letter. He's a very strategic writer. And he's already talked about justification by faith, our being made righteous by faith. Remember, and he brought in Abraham and, and David as witnesses in chapter four, just, just a few paragraphs back. And so he says, what shall we say then? So he's talking to people who've been redeemed, been justified, been declared right with God. God's righteousness has been imputed to us by faith. And he asks this rhetorical question, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, you probably are thinking, well, that's just absurd because you know who God is and you know who man is. And you've read these chapters before this, but there's a type of thinking in our world today. We call it antinomianism. It's actually it literally means against the law. It really has to do with kind of a, there, there's sort of a movement called the hyper grace movement that says, once I'm saved, I'm always saved. So it doesn't matter what I do after salvation. Well, Paul's going to go on here to explain that's not a normal, and the rest of scripture verifies this. First John verifies this. And a number of books of the New Testament verify this, this thought that the a, a true conversion, true salvation, when we when we truly recognize who we are as sinners, as Paul explained in, in Romans 1 and 2, 
first the immoral and then the moralist. And we really recognize in chapter three, those 14 counts of sin, there's none righteous, no, not when we really get that. And we recognize this justification by faith is made possible by the gospel of Jesus Christ, this beautiful sacrifice that where God condescended, became a man in the person of Jesus Christ, a person of the Trinity, lived a sinless life, died on a cruel Roman cross, was raised on the third day and seen by many and then ascended, sits at the right hand of the Father. And that justification, that his, his being our propitiation, his redeeming us, is accessed by us, is, is accepted by us, is by, by faith as we put our trust in him. So Paul's going to say here, when you recognize that, those facts, you're so overwhelmed by his love for you that you wouldn't dare think, I think I'll continue in sin so that grace will abound. I mean, I'm grossly paraphrasing here and I'm putting some of my own thoughts in here, but that's in essence, that's, that's what he's saying. If you've been incorporated with him, he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, that we might walk if we've been incorporated with him by faith. If we've experienced this atonement by faith, then we are to walk with him. And Paul's comparing this to the the resurrection in newness of life. We're a new creature, scripture says. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So Paul's just explaining an answer to this rhetorical question. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He's saying, no. No, if you've been incorporated with Christ, if you recognize, if you, if you recognize what has happened. Now, now I want to I just talk about one word here that I think is really important that I tend to gloss over. Verse three says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Do you not know? This is interesting. That word know is the Greek word we get our word Gnostic from. And to say not to not know, to turn it into a negative, is to make it the word that we get agnostic from, the, the inability to know, the not knowing. If a person's an agnostic, they're not necessarily an atheist. They, they sometimes will say that it, it's, it, I, I don't know. I can't know whether there's a God or not. It's unno- God is unknowable. So this, are you an agnostic, Paul is saying? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus? So if I may, I, I want to suggest that what Paul is, is saying here is that knowledge is important. Knowing who man is, who you were without Christ, and what has happened to you in Christ by faith is critical to your walk, to your being dead to sin and alive to God. But he's going to go on and explain this. So let, let me just continue here. Verse five, for, or, or because, or awkwardly, I would say why he's answering the question. Why? For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We didn't just die to sin. 
we live a new life by his resurrection. We are incorporated or baptized with him, into him. Then verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. He's already talked before about this notion of being captive to sin. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know, verse 9, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Verse 10, this is critical, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Powerful words. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You don't hear, or at least I haven't heard, a lot of lessons on this concept. But this this notion that we've been incorporated with Christ, we've died with him. You must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus is just a beautiful truth. Sin no longer makes you or me a slave, even though we love to gravitate back to sin, don't we? Our self-sufficiency is so strong, our self, sin of self-reliance and everything that comes with that foundational sin. We've already talked about that in previous episodes, so if you missed them, go back and, and uh, listen to uh, the, the episodes on chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Romans. We've, we've already established the fact that we are dead in our sins, And now this beautiful truth is, and in our self-sufficiency, and it rears its ugly head even as Christians, but Paul's saying, why do you do that? Why do you you continue to be slaves to sin? Because you've been incorporated with Jesus Christ. You know what he's really saying? Live, Live like who you are. Recognize, know, you remember that, do you not know in verse three? The antithesis of that would be, know who you are. Know who you are in Christ is what Paul is saying. And I think sometimes, and this, maybe it's just me, but I think sometimes we grow up in a church thinking, I got to muster up enough faith. I've got to, my faith is weak and and I I just, I just got to trust God more and I've got to suck it up and just build more faith. Well, how does that work? Well, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That sounds mysterious to me, but I've just got to read my Bible more and maybe maybe it's a volume thing. Well, you know, okay, that's partially true, but but there's this notion of knowing. It's important to study, to know God's truth. Did I just say everyone ought to go to seminary? No, I did not. I believe there are enough tools available, um, even simply owning a couple of translations of the Bible, like the... English Standard Version, the New King James Version, the uh, New American Standard Version, uh, NIV, and just comparing those translations would be probably sufficient to gain enough knowledge if you study Scripture carefully. There are some some good commentaries. There's a there's a really easy to understand commentary written on the Book of Romans by 
uh, Woodrow Kroll, K-R-O-L-L, and some other people. Uh, you can you can find it. Uh, it's called the the Book of Romans: Righteousness in Christ. What a great way to start a real study of Scripture. Paul is saying, know who you are and act like who you are in Christ. That's a gross oversimplification, but I think one of the things that was left out in the teaching that I received as a young person, or at least I missed it if it wasn't left out, is knowledge is important. Knowledge of biblical truth. If you think about just think philosophically for a moment and think about all the time we spend in a worldly philosophy classroom called life. And you get these inputs. And I know I sound like I'm a hundred years old, but you get these inputs on television, you get them online, you get them from friends, you get them from commentators of various types. You get them, you get them through sports, you get them through commercials, you get them at school even in churches, you get bad philosophy. And we really don't spend enough time filling our minds with good philosophy in, through Scripture, good knowledge through Scripture. And it's actually not just helpful from a foundational standpoint, it actually informs us on who we are and how to live, and that's what Paul's saying here. So let's go on. Verse 12. Let not sin, therefore. So he's wrapping up this thought. He started with, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says in verse 1, and then in verse 12, he says, let not sin, therefore, because of this, because of your incorporation with Christ, don't let sin, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Now, he's going to go on and develop this further, but I just want to make this point right now. We can't, you can't sin selectively. You can't have a pet group of sins, a family of sins, a type of sin where you compartmentalize it and you live the rest of your life to God, as Paul says, being alive to God in Christ Jesus in verse 11. So it reigns in your mortal body if you allow it at all. And and that's not not to say if you sin at all, it's if you have sin, if you continue in sin, if we live in sin, then it will reign in our mortal body to make us obey its passions. You know, I I heard a, a Tim Keller sermon and it was really a good one. My daughter and I went to New York um, years ago. She was, I, I think it was just, yeah, it was before her senior year in high school. And we went to Redeemer in uh, Manhattan because we just wanted to go to Tim Keller's church. And the sermon it was really cool. It was about Elijah. And I'll, I'll never forget the guy who read the sermon text had memorized an entire chapter of this story of Elijah and the widow. And it was it was just beautiful. But but one of the lessons, one, one of the takeaways that I remember distinctly is we all worship something. And, you know, as we read those stories and we think, okay, Israel was worshiping Baal or Baal and and uh, the God of fertility and then God caused a drought and how stupid were they? Why would, why would you worship this? And yet that's who we are. We all worship something. And what Paul is saying is if you make room for sin, habitual sin, if you live in sin, you have a favorite sin 
or sins. It will reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. We all do worship something and we become like that thing that we worship. And I think if I could put it in my own words, what I hear Paul saying here is you've got to fight through that natural tendency and realize that you've got to submit that sin to God and trust in him. Now, Paul tells us more about the perspective on that starting in verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Again, recognize who you are. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Know who you are in him. And he goes on, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now, Paul is talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. He's already established justification by faith. He talked earlier in this chapter about being baptized into him, being incorporated with him. So he's not saying to unsaved people, suck it up and be better, and God will account righteousness to you. That is antithetical. That is totally against all the teaching in in this letter. This is about justification by faith. This isn't go do better to earn God's favor and earn your justification. This is you are justified. Don't be slaves. Recognize who you are in Christ and don't live as slaves to unrighteousness. So for my friends who who believe that we are wind-up dolls, that God has foreordained every move we're going to make, and there are very few people who believe that, but some do, you're wrong. Paul is saying this requires human effort, human perspective, most importantly, to know who we are in Christ. And then Paul says, just live like it. For sin will have, verse 14, no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Listen to this again. For sin will have no dominion, no rule over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. That verse should make us all weep. Sin has no dominion over us. And you say, well, I'm still tempted. Yes. Yes, but it won't have control over your life. When we get to Romans 8 in a few weeks, you're going to see what exactly is going on in our lives. God is making us like Christ. And, and Paul is saying, recognize who you are and live like you've died to sin and been raised to God. What, what just beautiful, beautiful truth. So verse 15, he's, here he goes again. Another rhetorical question. What then? Oh, no. So, so what now? What, 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 because of this, what? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Wow. You know, some people get annoyed with Paul because of his redundancy. I don't because I think he's incredibly brilliant. He's such a strategic, legal, judicial mind. He's going to circle back to the question again. What then are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace. He's actually worried about, he's actually concerned about, he's actually addressing this notion of, you know, I've just taught the doctrines of grace to these people. And what if they say, well, okay, the law doesn't apply anymore. What about grace? 
can I just live how, however I'd, I'd like to live under grace? What then are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? And then he says, by no means, that same expression that he used before. He said, by no means in verse two. So we're down in verse 15 and he says it again, by no means. Then verse 16, listen to this, it's going to sound familiar. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Remember we said before that we're justified, justification and righteous or righteousness are very similar Greek words. Paul's not saying you'll become unsaved. He's saying you'll be a slave and if you if you obey sin, you'll be a slave to that sin and that leads to death. There's much to be said about that. There's been much written about this, that death comes in several forms. There's death of relationship, death of talent, death of waste of time. The wages of sin, he's about to say, is death at the end of this chapter, and we'll get there in a minute. So we have a choice, either obey sin, which leads to death, or be obedient to God, he says, which leads to righteousness, that is moral living, right living before God. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. And again, causes me to weep when I read this having been set free from sin. Sin sounds liberating. Paul already covered this in Romans 1. Sinners, immoral people, people who engage in immoral activity, which is all of us at some point or another, love to sin in groups, love to encourage each other, come with us, this is fun. For young people in particular, there can be peer pressure to sin, peer pressure to engage in sinning in groups. Even groups that aren't physically assembled together now because of all the online vehicles that we have, all the online, online platforms, and you can be ostracized or even bullied if you don't engage in that sin. Oh, you don't do that. Well, you're not one of us. Can you believe little Tommy is a baby because he won't do X? You've heard it again and again in different formats, different ways. We know, and Paul taught this in Romans 1, we become captive to that sin. A couple things happen. We, we condone sin. Our hearts become hard so that we start to, to not recognize it as sin. We become dull and we lose our discernment. And then eventually, we not only engage in sin habitually, we approve of others and even encourage others to do so, Paul says. Well, what he's proven already is that we become captives to what we worship. That lesson I mentioned earlier. And we become what we worship. And he's saying that there's no reason to live in sin, that we can be obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed 
and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. There is freedom, beautiful freedom in Christ Jesus. This might not feel like freedom. It might feel restrictive. You might have at first an attitude that says, well, why can't I do this, this, and this? Now, I would examine the this, this, and this to see whether they truly are sinful or not. We like to label things sometimes as sin or not sin based on bad thinking, bad teaching. But sin is captivating. It leads to a progression, Paul's already explained to us, and it owns us. There is beauty. It's counterintuitive to some degree, but there's beauty in being slaves to righteousness and having been set free from sin. Now, listen to what Paul says in verse 19. I really like it when he says, I'm going to be really human with you here. In verse 19, he says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. He's not saying go dust yourself off and become good enough and earn God's favor. He's saying simply, Live like what you are. You were once slaves to impurity. Now, I don't need to go through all the cute little analogies about slavery and what that means. You know what that means. You know that a slave becomes, has to be loyal to his master, his or her master. You know that becoming slave to something means that you're owned by it. You become owned by, Paul is saying, your sin dominated by it so much so that I know some of you like me have thrown your hands up and said, I can't, I can't conquer this. Well, that's a perfect time to go to scripture, to get on your knees on, on my knees and repent and trust in Christ to, to, to rescue us from our sin. It's a great time for counseling by a good pastor to get help with overcoming our sin. Because we, we now can present ourselves as slaves to righteousness, not to earn God's favor, but it says leading, it doesn't say leading to justification, it says leading to sanctification. Words have, are important, they have meaning. This growth in Christ, this growing spiritually, this becoming Christ-like that he's going to talk about in just another chapter, leading to sanctification. So we don't do good to earn God's favor. We do good, we don't sin, we don't live in sin for our own benefit so that we grow in Christ Jesus. We're incorporated with him and we're to live like it is what Paul is saying in this chapter. All right, let's wrap this up with a few more verses here. We're we're near the end. We've got four more verses. For when you were slaves, verse 20, of sin, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Boy, isn't that the truth? I didn't give righteousness much of a thought. I did. There was, there was this small voice. God, God, we're made in his image, and, and we, don't, we don't just sin totally mindlessly, but really we become free in regard to righteousness and become slaves to sin. Sin's pretty much all we think about. It's all the bandwidth we have. Then in verse 21, he says, but... 
What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Now, I think evidence, I think scripture teaches that evidence of Christ's transformative saving work in our hearts is that we are ashamed of our past sin. It doesn't mean we don't sin, but but we are particularly ashamed of those things that that we did previously. And he said, what fruit did you get from those at that time? You know, sometimes it feels like, oh, great, I can hang out with my buddies and we can do this, this, and this, or I'm going to be rebellious and I, I, I don't... I don't like this teaching or, or I'm going to uh, name your sin there. And it, it seems like, oh, that's going to be so fulfilling. And Paul is saying, you didn't get any fruit from that. What did you get from that? You got nothing but death, nothing but destruction. And then he says, he, he proves it. He says, for the end of those things is death, period. Oh, but it looks glamorous. But wait a minute, these people who've been married five or six times, these Hollywood stars who are just so beautiful and they, they live such a perfect life and they, oh, look at that mansion, it's on this cliff and oh, they have beautiful view of the Pacific and, and, and they just live wonderful. No, no, they're dead. The end of these things is dead. You can glamorize it. I, I've glamorized it. I, I'll tell you what I glamorized. I glamorized money. I glamorized my banking career and could not wait until I made millions of dollars when we sold our first community bank. You know where I was when we sold that bank? I was in the hospital recovering from surgery. What a juxtaposition. I was diagnosed with stage three cancer. If you've been with me from the beginning of this podcast, you know the story. And I had lived for the day that my investment of a few hundred thousand dollars would turn into over a million dollars, and it did. And I worked every day with that in mind. I worshiped money. I had an idol. And everybody who knows me knows I did. My wife knows I did. If our daughter had been old enough at the time, she would have known that I did. I did it in a nice way, but I I worshiped that money, that event. And I was in a hospital bed with a catheter. (laughs) Not that that's relevant, but that's, that's, that is humiliating and a drain coming out of my abdomen because I had 20 inches of my colon removed and I could barely walk. I remember the first day when this story of this bank selling was in the newspaper by my picture. And it talked about the fact that we got this big multiple and that this other bank had bought our bank and such a celebration. I I could only walk to the door of my hospital room and back to my bed. And then I fell asleep for about four hours. I woke up again, and my next walk was to the nurse's station about 15 feet away. Then the next walk, I walked a little further. Eventually, I was doing laps in the hallway, and five days later, it got discharged, thankfully, and had a successful outcome. I had to follow that with six months of, of chemo. You think these verses might have come alive for me at that time? They sure did. They certainly did. I couldn't even read some of these verses at that time. What beautiful perspective, though. God pursues us, and we're going to talk about how he does that later in this book. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Keep your eyes focused ahead and participate in your sanctification. 
those of you in other denominations other than those who use that word sanctification, it is a biblical word, but some of you would like to call that perseverance or uh, maybe a better way to say it is spiritual growth. And then finally, a very familiar verse, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What a beautiful promise. Why would we continue to live in a lifestyle that brings on death? Paul is saying, why not enjoy our incorporation in him, in Christ Jesus, and live our lives to God because of this free gift of God, this eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Eternal life doesn't start when you die. It doesn't start at the rapture, the second coming of Christ. Eternal life started the day you were born. Every soul is immortal. This free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Eternal life incorporated with him is what this is saying. It is a beautiful promise, this beautiful doctrine of justification by faith. Paul is walking this out by answering these two rhetorical questions. I hope this has been a blessing to you. It is a blessing to me to get to read through this. I hope you'll send along your comments. If I've said something offensive or perhaps created a question in your mind, and you're driving right now, go to the website, johnwarrenmedia.com later, and, or, or send an email to john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Play this ending back so you have that email address. And don't hesitate to send along a comment or question. If you've heard teaching that conflicts with this, you've heard you've got to be good enough to merit God's favor. That is an absolute lie. But remember Paul's rhetorical questions. That does not give us license to sin. You will live and I will live a miserable life if we make that choice in captivity. You've been freed. Why would you turn around and go back in that prison? And that, that's, that's really what he's saying. And that's what we, we sometimes do. So I hope you'll send along uh, your comments or questions. Thank you. I cannot thank you enough. We're past the one-year point for your loyalty to this podcast. Every listener is so valued. Uh, we have listeners from all over the world. I, I get so excited when I look at this interactive uh, map that kind of has little lights on it for uh, all the places our, our listeners reside. And we've had listeners throughout Europe and India, Australia, all over the uh, United States. And uh, truly, it is a blessing to get to uh, share these truths uh, with you. We're interspersing some interviews here and there, uh, but we're making our way through Romans. We're going to go at a pretty fast pace. Uh, the rest of the way. And uh, I hope next week will be a blessing to you as we look at uh, chapter seven. So again, uh, please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us on uh, Apple uh, Music, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. 
Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren. Thank you.